0: Welcome to the Limitless Leaders Podcast. This is a show where my guests and I explore and expand on all things mindset, leadership and communication. On the show, I interview inspiring leaders, business owners and entrepreneurs from all walks of life, where they share their stories, experiences and lessons. This is a podcast for you if you're looking to learn, grow and accelerate your life, career And who you are. Hi, and welcome to the Limitless Leaders Podcast. Meaningful work, something I'm very passionate about. And I think, especially post pandemic, people are really taking the time to reflect, reset, and refocus on the things that light them up and the careers that light them up and are on purpose. Today, I have an amazing guest, Nina Mapson bone and I hope I've said that correctly. You have, thank you. Um, And she is the Managing Director of Beaumont People and President and Chair of the RCSA. Everything Nina does is to create a world with more meaningful work. She's the Managing Director of Beaumont People, a recruitment and consulting firm that believes in placing people first. And I'm a big believer, people before process, before progress. She's also the President and Chair of the Recruitment, Consulting and Staffing Association of Australia and New Zealand, and the Chair of the Development Committee of the North Foundation. This is a charity that supports medical research and patient care for the Northern Sydney Local Health District. She's experienced firsthand the power of work to transform your life and through her work in recruitment has seen time and time again how when we're engaged in meaningful work, every outcome at work improves for both the individual and the organisation. It's in these observations that her drive has come to continue to help others in her own development of meaningful work. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Excited to be here, Renee.
0: Absolute pleasure. And we'll go into it a little bit later, but you've brought out an amazing book, which I have read. I read a book a week, so I always make sure I read all my guests' book, and this one really resonated with me, Meaningful Work, Unlock Your Unique Path to Career Fulfillment. So, I guess... I'd love, Nina, just to have a chat about how you've got to where you are today and what you're doing.
1: Yeah, sure. So I grew up in England, as you can probably tell. Um, I've been here for over 20 years, but um, can't shake the accent. And um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I ended up in recruitment sort of by accident, not a complete accident, but sort of by accident. I always wanted to be a teacher. Sort of once I grew out of wanting to be an actress, I wanted to be a teacher for years. I'm with you. Um, and it, <laughs> and I even thought I might go back into teaching quite late into my even into my recruitment career initially, uh, because I always loved kind of helping other people, and watching them grow and watching them develop. Uh, but when I finished university, I wasn't financially in a position where I could then do my teacher, my postgrad teacher course. So I needed to earn money and I got into the workforce. And and I'd always been really good at sales. I spent my summer holidays doing sales through university. And so when I came to Australia, which was in 2002, my then uh, boyfriend, now husband, and and I moved here and we needed a visa. And I knew if you were good at sales and you were good with people, you could be good at recruitment. I had had friends that had gone into recruitment and I knew I could get a visa if I went into recruitment. So sort of a happy accident. I went into recruitment um, and that was... Formerly in 2002, I'd actually done it as quite a big part of a previous job um, prior to that, but actually agency recruitment in 2002. And and the rest, as they say, is history. My kind of career in that field uh, grew further and further from there.
0: Amazing, amazing. And I love what you said because I think recruitment is all about people and it is about sales and it is about placing the right people in the right roles for them in their careers. But um, I really love sort of the ethos of your book around really understanding, you know, motivation and those four areas which we'll go into. Before we kick off, We've we're, a lot of our listeners all over the world are people from all walks of life. We've got leaders, we've got business owners, we've got university students. Um, if there's someone out there right now that's really questioning their career, what's what's just a really good tip that they could or a question
1: they could ponder? that's a great question and i think it comes down to what what is it about their career that they're questioning so so my first question is what are you actually questioning go beyond the initial kind of what should i do or why isn't it working to actually think, what is it about it that I'm questioning it? Why am I questioning it? Because if you do that, then you might get into one of the four areas that I talk about in the book. And you need to kind of, I think we always make the mistake of not going deep enough. I don't like my job, I changed my job, or I don't like my boss. So if I get a new boss, then everything will be okay. But we don't necessarily go to the root of what the actual challenges are. And we don't see it, it's a being happy in your career, having meaningful work, is a journey. It's a, it's like exercise. It's like a health yeah. habit. You have to you have to continually kind of work at it and tweak at it and and be on top of it. So it's not a quick fix, is what I would say.
0: No, and I I agree with that. And I think you know you know so many people you know leave organisations because of well personality clashes, which are basically a communication breakdown. And, you know, I do a bit of transition coaching in the work we do and I always say work through it because if you leave and go somewhere else, you're going to get that person again. I'm a big believer, Nina, in the gift mindset. Like any challenge, welcome the unwelcome, take it head on and embrace it because you can go the other way and not learn. Mm. I'd love to ask you, you know, meaningful work, you know, it means something different to everyone. And I actually asked someone, I ran some events yesterday, and I actually asked somebody just off the cuff, what's meaningful work to you? And they went, what do you mean? And I said, well, what's meaningful for you in your work? And they said, well, to earn X amount to do this, which isn't how I would answer it. There's no right or wrong. But as a summary for our listeners and viewers, what what is meaningful work? What is it?
1: I love I love that that was the reaction that you had, Renee, because yeah. this was this was why we went we went on this journey initially because we so at Beaumont people, the organization I work with, we have always talked about our purpose being connecting people to meaningful work. And so yeah. we thought if we wanted to be true to that, we really needed to be sure what it was. So we thought, well, we'll look it up. There'll be a definition. And when we looked it up, we we were astounded to discover there was no sort of single definition. There had never been any research for Australia and what meaningful work was for Australians. And there was sort of an aspect of our research that made it a world first as well. So we delved into it. And through that, we we commissioned some academics and we came up with the definition. So we see that meaningful work is the importance that an individual. So you, me and your, your point is valid. It's different. For different people yeah. but the importance and in individual places on their work meeting their goals their values their motivations and um, their personal narrative around work but in the context of the society and the culture that they're in
0: mm. yeah I love that I love that because it's it's like any so meaningful work really is in the eye of the beholder. But it's doing something that I always say connects you to you. And I love what you said. I'm very big on that deep purpose. You're, I call it your why to fly. What, what is that for you? Um, and I was going to ask you, it's a bit like success. You know, I ran something the other week around what does success mean for you? It was money. This is what came from the group. It was money. It was people thinking I'm good at what I do. And then someone said, Renee, what does it mean for you? And I was facilitating it. And I said, for me, it's making a difference and seeing people realise and achieve what's possible. That's what lights me up. And I think many of us out there struggled through the pandemic. We did. We lost 90% of our business in the first two weeks, which was, you know, because a lot of my stuff, speaking and workshops and face-to-face. And we did a lot through COVID and it was tough. But so many people have said, how did you get through? And I just stayed focused on that strong purpose and use that to fuel me and others forward. And I think that's so important. Um, how do you think, you know, I, I call it um, the, the pandemic, how do you think that has shaped meaningful work? Has it changed or brought it more to the surface with people questioning it?
1: Yeah, so we actually, so... Uh, Off the back of the research we did, we built a meaningful work profile tool. And we've now had actually, as of um, the last time I looked, which would have been a couple of weeks ago, we had nearly 7000 individual profiles. So that's since uh, 2020. We've been collecting data on on what people think is meaningful work. And we saw a really interesting shift as a result of the pandemic. So you're spot on. People did absolutely change their thinking around it, but not in the ways that we necessarily Kind of concluded or we saw in the press. So, um, prior to the pandemic, the top three factors. And when I say top three factors, they're they're the most popular factors. Yeah. Your yeah. point, your really early point about the fact that it's individual is really important. So these aren't everybody's, but the the top three in pre-pandemic times. Number one was actually having the trust of your manager. So having a a really good relationship with your manager. Number two, which is never a surprise, is culture. And number three was purpose, work that makes a difference, that contributes. So they were the top three before. But as a result of the pandemic, when we recut the data at the back end of 2022, so after two years of pandemic, the number one had actually changed to um safety. So physical, emotional, mental safety, that importance of the, the safety, the security piece. I think all of the uncertainty really shook people. So that that was number one. I mean, just that you know, real kind of back to basics almost for people. Number two was was connection to your team. So -hmm. instead of it being about the broader organization, people became much more team focused. Mm -hmm. And number three was still purpose or or work that contributes. But the one that was interesting as well, it, it didn't make the top three, but it jumped, I think it was more than 10 percentage points in terms of how much people valued it, was career advancement, yeah. And we all heard about quite quitting, but actually what people wanted was to know what was their career step, what were their pathways coming for them. So that really kind of grew as a result. That's of COVID.
0: amazing. That's such interesting data. And I think you're right. I think sometimes we overthink it. And I think people are defaulting back to the basics. Um, and the safety is something I'm seeing a lot with clients, creating that psychological safety. And I think, you know, cultures where people can share mistakes and challenges and are supported to move beyond
1: that. Exactly right. Yeah. And sorry. Yeah. No, keep going. No, I was just going to say, and just that piece around, I think it goes with connection. I think the fact that safety was number one and connection was number two, that team connection. People really wanted, they wanted that human, they wanted to feel safe and they wanted that human connection really came through as a result.
0: Definitely. It's one of my life values is connection, I think, and we were all wired to connect. And I think there was some over, I I felt over-connected because we were doing 10, 12 Zoom things a day. But that human piece and being back in a room, I think, and so a lot of leaders catching up with their teams more so than just one-on-one, I think if that's used for good, it was a great way to reconnect and build trust. You know, and I always say the opposite of trust is fear. If anyone's not trusting, I always say, what are you fearing? And people sort of look at me for about a minute, but they come up with something. Mm. So I think that's such an important thing for the leader and the team to work to work through that together. Um, in your book, I think it was chapters 11, 12 and 13, you share some amazing assessment tools. Um the meaningful work profiling tool and also the organizational one and the and and the other one. Do you want to just, just for our listeners just run through? Um, and I know we'll we'll share this at the end of the podcast, they can access these these great tools. And I'm actually going to do one of the tools because it really, really got me thinking about something. What what are the sort of four areas we need to look at?
1: Sure. So the The piece about the research that made it world first was that it was the first time um that the academics had seen where meaningful work was looked at both the individual the psychological aspect, yeah. which is you know how we think about it individually and also the sociological aspect So how much the society we're in assigns value to our work as well as our access and means. So the four factors kind of sit within those two sides. So you have the individual factor um and that's things like, like we touched on earlier, your motivations, your goals, your personal narratives, your strengths, those kind of things. Then there's the job itself. And that's how much the job um, suits you in terms of things like the level of workload, the stress involved, you know, different people cope with different levels of those things and also how much the work has actually been designed to be meaningful. Mm. Then there's the organisational is the third factor and often we think that that's where meaningful work sits because it's things like our relationships, it's the leadership that we have at work, it's culture, it's policies, it's practices, it's those kind of organisational factors. But then the fourth is that societal factor which is not usually something we consider but how much value society assigns to the work we do really does influence how we think about it and if it's if it's intention if it's intention with our kind of individual factors that can cause problems if we're some people are very good at going I don't care what the rest of the world thinks but a lot of people are quite influenced if your family or your friends think that Mm. what you do is not a worthy or valuable job that really can color how meaningful you find it I love that measures all four of those aspects
0: amazing because I think the thing that stood out you just said the societal thing is not looked at a lot and we all know people's identities have become what they do I noticed something the other week that you might be interested in I do some work with grads and I sort of said you know what what do you want to do and I had about three of them go I just want to live a really fulfilling life and travel whereas I'm a generation x and people go straight into, I do this for a living. It's so interesting. And also, I think cultural norms would play a part, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, very much so. So um, that's the other part. You've actually touched on the other part of the socio... socio- I can't say the word today. Sociological factor. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, which, is, which is exactly that. It's whether the organisation we work for, whether their cultural values align with the values that we were raised with. Mm-hmm. So things like... Um, in some societies, we would believe that it's the organization's responsibility to kind of craft our careers. In others, we would mm. think it's my individual responsibility to craft my career. So whether that's in conflict or not can actually that's a societal factor. And you're right with when you talk about the grads, there's a real, and you'll have seen this in the book, Renee, there's a real difference in the generations coming through in how they view work mm. um and that and the generation coming through for them, meaningful work is the. Number one fact, like having work that is meaningful, is far more. My generation, I'm Generation X. We were all about kind of security, financial, kind of achievement, success. It was like a pathway,
0: expected yeah, pathway, absolutely. Wasn't it? Yeah, it's interesting, and I think too. Do you think the fact that the world's opened up? You know, we've got all this technology. You know, you can become an influencer just by getting on TikTok and having something good to share or not something good to share. Um, that has that created, have you seen that's created more people looking at a side hustle or starting their own business?
1: Yeah, very much so. So there is a lot of that. People are able to explore and they're able to explore their kind of creativity in different ways if they're not getting it in in their actual kind of day job, as it were. But also yeah. I think the I think the younger generation are also. Um, And I I don't want to speak for them, but from the people I talk to in our workplace and the people I've met and interviewed and had conversations with about this, they are a bit let down by, you know, the world that they've inherited in terms of some of the things that have gone on in the world. So they just, you know, even my 15 year old son, all he wants to do, he says to me, "Mom, I just want to do a job that I enjoy and not be stressed. And the travel thing as well, you know, so it's they're not buying into this idea of stress at all.
0: I think it's refreshing. You know, probably like you, I had the big corporate career and I've had run my business for 17 years now. And um, you know, you have a you have a certain freedom to do the things that light you up. And I have a bit of a saying, you know, if you can do what lights you up 70% of the time, that you know, that helps get you through. Um I'm really big on the whole soft skills, or I call them life skills. I prefer that term. We do a lot of work around that. Um, and in your book, there's, there's this, I think it's a Deloitte um, statistic that two-thirds of all jobs will be soft skilled focused by 2030.
1: Yeah, that's correct. I like to call them human skills because I think that's, you know, they are human skills, things like creativity, critical thinking, communication skills, all of those kind of things. But they're the skills that particularly as AI influences how jobs are in the workplace and AI will um, certainly initially take over some of the repetitive tasks or the kind yeah. of, um, you know, re- yeah machine based tasks or mm-hmm. those kind of things. It's those human skills that are going to be critical. And that's why the, the Deloitte survey found that two thirds of the jobs will be, yeah. they call soft skills intensive by yeah. 2030. Yeah. And they're the skills we need to be teaching people. They're the skills that are partly nature, partly nurture, and also come from your experience in the workplace.
0: They 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 do. I'm big big on on yeah human skills, life skills, real skills. And I think I'm you know I love tech. I'm not not against AI at all. Um, but I, I always sort of think you know you've got to balance it and ramp up these soft skills more than ever. One one of the soft skills I think that I'm seeing and we're doing a lot of work around. We call it because we have the twelve gifts in the gift mindset, which are the twelve soft skills we can deepen through. Uh, embracing lessons. One of them is a gift of curiosity, and mm. you know, for me, curiosity is about learning possibility. Um, I'm a big believer. If teams get together and become curious, they become creative. They co-create, and that leads to collaboration, trust. That's a byproduct of that. How important, mm. you know, do you think curiosity is, and what what do you think are some of the key? Soft skills, especially right now, is this AI—it's
1: been around forever, but it's just ramped up. Mm. I think so. I think I agree that curiosity is a really important mm-hmm. one. And and I think one of the things that's interesting about curiosity is you you have to have psychological safety first, because yes. if you don't have the safety in the workplace, you won't even if you are naturally curious, you won't feel safe to ask questions, which is what you need to do to be curious. So so I agree, curiosity. I think. The creativity is a really important one, and that's another one that doesn't, you know, is hindered if you don't have psychological safety. So that ability to think differently, to mm-hmm. be able to kind of bounce off each other and be creative in the ideas or the concepts that you're coming up with. I think critical thinking is something that we um, underestimate sometimes, that ability to take the time to think slightly um, not ana- not analytically in terms of necessarily a scientific way, but more just really questioning everything and really thinking about: Is this the best way? Why are we doing these things? What's going to get the best outcome? Yeah. Is there a better way? Should we even be doing what we're doing in the first place? You know, and not being afraid to have those kind of that questioning mindset, which that critical thinking is part of the creativity. But a big one you touched on right at the beginning, Renee, is communication. Oh. You know those. I, I mean, I say That's to everybody the all the time, actually, it, yeah, yeah, in the workshops I run and in, in, in mm-hmm. internally at work, I say to people all the time, most people don't wake up in the morning thinking to themselves, my entire goal today is just to upset as many people as I can. I'm Ooh. just going to go and really annoy all my colleagues. I'm going to see if I can, you know, put my boss in a bad mood, get my best mate at work offside. Yeah. And yet those kind of things happen all the time because we're not great at communicating. So yeah. that communication skill is a crucial one.
0: Oh, it is, it is. I communication to me, strip away leadership and all these other things. We've we've recently, Nina, created a game called Sup on My Shelf up there called Two Sides in Two Minutes. And it's an in-person board game where you debate two sides. So you're for the topic and against it. And everyone in the group shouldn't be able to tell what side you're actually on. And then they give you feedback around key dimensions of communication and I ran, ran an event yesterday morning on it and something that kept coming up was I can't see two sides of that topic and I said well pretend that you can and two people actually turned around and said I'm actually for it now huh. so Appreciating Great. diversity of thought yeah it's yeah. so important love it yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about and there is a soft, you know, a bit of a um skills shortage in the market. What do you think is driving that and you know, what's going to make that better or worse?
1: Yeah. So, we the demographics of the talent shortage are not good so in that in that it's going to get worse. Now, there might be short-term cycles in terms of economic cycles where it kind of has little, you know, blips in that in the next year or two, particularly with a bit of the economic uncertainty that we're seeing at the moment. But the general t- trend over the next five to 10 years is that the talent talent shortage will get worse. And that's because um, we have a significant number of boomers, about 4 million boomers will be leaving the workforce that will leave yeah. before by that 2030. And there's simply not enough people entering the workforce through the millennials mm. um, and the Gen Zs. Uh, coming through, and we have had a big pause on migration, obviously with the pandemic. Yeah. So we yeah. don't have as many people coming into the country. And even though the you know the borders have opened, the processing of visas and those kind of things is not happening at any speed. Anyone uh-huh. who's trying to get any workers through visas would know that that's not happening. We haven't had kind of the return of backpackers in quite the same way, in quite the same numbers. We do have them back, but there's a real shortage of across. Pretty much every role and it's going to get worse. So that's where those human skills are going to be crucial because we're going to need that as we, the other thing is that roles are going to change because of AI. So the that's talent shortage is going to be worse because it's going to be in roles that we don't currently have people trained in or know how to do. So it'll be a really interesting time.
0: It will be. It will be. And I think more than ever it will be a time in every role. I I believe everyone's a leader because you lead self-decisions and maybe a team. But I think it's, and I'm doing a lot of writing on this at the moment, it could could be in my next book, but just around the different dimensions in a role, you know, that spiritual strength, that um, emotional strength, the EQ part. That social strength, connection, and I think that societal strength as well. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I and we spoke earlier. I'm a big believer that the things that happen to us happen for a reason or a lesson. A lesson, sometimes hard to see. I, I know the start of COVID, we lost everything in the business. My little sister got diagnosed with breast cancer, and. I was starting to write The Gift Mindset, the book. And I was like, what am I doing? The irony in my expertise. And then I was like, no, I feel so grateful that I can do this and I'm a big believer in gratitude. What? And I believe, you know, the the, the things that happen to us, good or bad, because a lot of the great things we achieve, there's a lot of roadblocks along the way. What's been your biggest gift or lesson personal or professionally that you've really used to help progress yourself forward?
1: That's a great question. Um, I've had so many, gosh, which to pick. Um, (laughs) I think, (laughs) look, I had a pretty tough childhood. And um, I think in some ways, like you say, you know, it's a bit like when you think of it as a gift. Um, There were times when I would have done anything to change it, but, um, but it very much made me who I am and it made me very resilient um it made me not be that concerned about what other people think about me um and gave me if anything actually gave me a confidence that uh I wouldn't have thought I would have had from the time my parents both lost their lost their jobs. when I talk about in my bio I say that trans work transforms lives I saw both my parents lose their jobs in the recession of the 90s um and then there were various kind of Things that happened as a result of that. So my teenage years were pretty troubled. um, But I was able to get myself to university, get through that, have, you know, build a great career for myself from scratch up, really. So I think that from those kind of that adversity comes a real strength and a resilience. So I think in some ways, going through that really set me up well to be very strong. So I'm a very strong person. I'm a very tough, might be the wrong word, but resilient. Tenacious. I'm very, yeah, very tenacious, very resilient. So I'm very grateful. I'm very kind of calm, I'm not always calm in the moment, but I'm very calm on a kind of big picture sense. I'm not, there's yeah. not too much that phases me that much.
0: Yeah, amazing. I really think whatever happens to us helps us to become who we are and who we're continually becoming. And I'm sure in three or four years, if we caught up, there'd be something, there'd be something else. And what you've said really mirrors, you know, two quotes that 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 you've given me. Only the best thing will ever happen to you. Love that. And Mm -hmm. you will never be tested beyond your capacity. I think what is happens, if that makes sense. Like I think at the right time, I always say we have hidden gifts, the ones that we just sort of go move on. And I'm like you, it's very resilient, very tenacious, but actually stopping and going what happened how can I use that but how can I share that with others because that could be a survival guide for someone else
1: mm-hmm. absolutely and I know I definitely have had you know lots of conversations with people both personally and professionally where I've shared things I'm a very open book so I share things you know anyone asks a question I'll answer it so um, and some of those things I've shared have helped other people
0: yeah. yeah definitely definitely um I love one of your lessons around putting and this is you know really topical Theme at the moment, I'm doing a lot of coaching on this is around um health and well-being first. Mm. And those listening that know me know I'm a giver and I don't always do that. But I've had some health issues this year and I've really had to go practice what you preach and take a step back. Um
1: what what keeps you energized and what I call limitless in what you do? <laughs> Um, so I'm pretty protective around this. Maybe not, maybe not quite as protective as I should be, but I am pretty protective. Um, I There's a fabulous lady. I don't know if you've met her or seen her speak, but Heidi Denning. Um, yes. She does a lot of stuff on health and well-being, yes. and she taught me this one um, uh, uh, probably yeah eight years ago now. But um, the, the quote that I think you read from me was, uh, I always put my own health and well-being first because I cannot help others unless I'm at my best. Yes. So if you are a giver and you want to help others, you have to remember that actually the most – helpful thing you can do is yeah. look after yourself first the the key thing for me is that i'm um i'm very protective about sleep so i know so my son has type 1 diabetes and um as a result we're often up in the night we have to check his blood sugar levels yeah. through the night that kind of thing so um so sleep is a big thing for me and i will do everything within my power mm-hmm. to protect it as much as possible um i walk with my best friend every weekend um and so that i have some one on one girl time with her every single weekend. I play hockey. I play field, field hockey and indoor hockey. So I'm still very active in that regard. Um, and I really love nature. I find nature very restorative. So I love being out in nature. If it's if it's green or blue, it's good for you, I always say. So well, it's great it. to be out there.
0: Green or blue, it's good for you. I'm a bit the same. I think the, the nature piece is so important. And I did some research in my book around the main reason we switch off in nature more easily than being indoors is because our brains can't comprehend the data of nature. So it actually mm. switches off a bit. Yeah, and it goes back to, you know, what the Japanese called forest bathing and, you know, all that sort of thing. Mm. But I think it's it's so important, especially at the moment, so many people are, you know, the key things, you know, we've just done a survey, overwhelmed burnt out, which obviously has a different, you know, um, definition Mm -hmm. for many people, um, and just feeling a bit out of control. And I think what you've said is so important. If you can take a step back and look after you, especially to really reflect on what is meaningful work, you can't do that when your headspace
1: and your energy is all over the place. So absolutely. And we, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Renee. <laughs> I was going to say the thing is, as well as we know that um that every out- when you're engaged in meaningful work, every outcome is better. You are actually less stressed. It improves your health and well-being. You're less likely to get burnt out. You're happy. You're more productive. You're more creative. And it's better for the organisations you work for. They get better results, better performance. So it's well worth the time. It's it's a bit like physical health. It's one of those aspects of health that you have to take the time to think about because work does, it's become our primary source of identity. And that was born through in the research as well uh, in terms of things like church attendance has declined and community you know knowing your neighbors things mm. like that has declined and so it's what it's the main way that people identify now so it's a crucial part of who we are and putting the time and effort into that does genuinely affect your well-being.
0: it does I always think about contribution you know um we contribute to our work team, our home team, our community and then ourselves most of the mm. time but it's got to be the other way around. Um, yeah I just think it's so important and if, if you're out there and you're thinking about you know is is the work am I doing the right thing is it is it for me does it touch my heart does it have meaning I think it's about taking that step back and I always say to people don't think about roles think about something you're curious or passionate about what is that industry then what would that role look like.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, one of the things, one of the reasons I wrote the book was because I wanted people to even go before they get to that step, and that's a crucial step that you're talking about, but before they even get to that step, to almost go even one step further back, to really think about them, you know, the whole picture, what am I good at, to your point, but also how much you know not just the 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 role but how much volume in the same role in different organizations could be meaningful or not because sometimes it's about the volume of work or it's about the size of the organization and then in the organization what kind of things are important to you and the thing that's important then is that for each person some of those factors will be more important than not so which ones of those levers are your levers that yeah, you need yeah. to focus on. And it's only by doing that self analysis that you're likely to get it more right. More of the time, it still won't be perfect. But you said 70% earlier. I yeah. always, I always talk about um, my, my good friend that I just mentioned that I walk with. She's um, always been, uh, uh, not always, but for the last 20 years or so has been a, a mother, a wife. She's raised a very beautiful family. And she always, we always used to joke, we've had very different lives. And she used to say to me, you know, I hate cooking and I hate washing up. But it's a part. everyone has parts of their jobs that they yeah, don't like and it's what right. all allows me to spend time with my children. So and she yeah, you know, I'll puts I'll up that. with that bit of it, yeah.
0: Yeah, and we run our own businesses and I know there's two or three things that I still don't like but most of it I do, you know, and I think that's mm. important. And it comes back to knowing your values. You know, what do you value and then how does that feed into your purpose and ultimately where you end up, you know, working? Absolutely. Um, we, we. I'm a big, big believer in what I call limitless leaders. So leaders that learn, unlearn, relearn and evolve continually. Um, who's the leader that you admire and why?
1: So it's an interesting question because I don't tend to admire single people. I tend yeah. to look for traits or qualities that I can admire because no person is perfect. And we all have great things and we all have you know weaknesses. And sometimes our greatest strengths can also be our greatest weaknesses. So what I tend to do is look for qualities in individual leaders and think, how can I emulate those qualities? So um, all the people in the book, there are six stories in the book, very different stories. I admire all of them in different ways for different reasons. And part of the reason I showcased them was that they have very different styles and very different stories, but they're all uh aspirational in that they have all, despite incredibly successful careers, had times when they weren't in meaningful work or when they have struggled and they have had their own battles. So I find that inspiring. I find I look at leaders like that, I love that. Um Shirley Chowdhury, who's in the book, is particularly Mm. um inspiring in terms of one of the things, and I've got to know her personally, is she's completely fearless and speaking her mind. um, But she does it in such an endearing way. And that's a hard, hard trait. It to is. get right, so she does that really well. Yeah, so it's that I look, but I look for traits like that. I look for what is it about? What is the trait that I'm trying to to learn? What's the skill I'm trying to take from it?
0: I love that. It's sort of like our friends and relationship network. Mm-hmm. You know, I always I've got the the Zen. My passion is cooking, so I've got my Zen friend that I've had since I was three years old. We cook together. My friend that I party with, the other friend that's the critical friend, the other one that's just there to support. And I think I love that, just taking different traits. And I think knowing when you haven't had meaningful work helps you know what meaningful work means for you. So
1: there's a gift in
0: that itself.
1: Absolutely. And it can actually make you a better leader. I think about one of the worst work experiences I had, I had a boss that was just awful. I mean, one of the worst experiences of my working career but I learned an awful lot about what I, kind of leader I didn't want to be through that yeah. period of my life. So there's still lessons in there.
0: I love that. I call the difficult people in our life Kris Kringles. You ask for <laughs> perfume and you get socks. They teach you that. and And um, I sometimes ask people, you know, have you had a Kris Kringle? And they go, no. I go, you will.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, it comes to us all.
0: Yeah. I always love to ask Four little trivial questions. What is your favourite noise?
1: I love the sound of kookaburras laughing. I don't think you can hear kookaburras laugh and not be in a good mood, especially when there's a whole group of them. I live quite near the bush and I often get woken up to kookaburras laughing. It just makes me happy.
0: I love that. Favourite food. So it's your last night on earth and you can eat anything. What would it be?
1: Oh, Probably a really, really good fillet steak with a really well done baked potato some nice maybe a mushroom sauce lots of butter
0: glass of red wine
1: favorite (laughs) word serendipity i had to think about this so i obviously knew that you were going to ask that question and I, i i am a lover of words so it was really hard but i think serendipity um because it's happy luck and luck is always, you know, or usually good anyway, but just the kind of I just love the happiness ring that goes with serendipity.
0: Love that. Well, mine's synchronicity. So. <laughs> yep. I don't I think that. things happen. If, we're, if Nothing's coincidental. I think there's something in things. And if you were to pursue a career other than all the amazing work you're doing now, what would that be?
1: Well, probably teaching, uh, although I've kind of incorporated lots of elements of teaching into my career. I've basically mm-hmm. adapted the job. I talk about this in the book. I've kind of adapted the job to be, to do the aspects of teaching that I would have loved to have done before. But teaching, um, I, you know, I joked earlier about being an actress, but I do lots of talking on stages now. So I get that bit out of me as well. So, you know, yeah,
0: maybe those. I <laughs> absolutely love that. It reminds me, um, I got asked a similar question the other day, and I said, growing up, I wanted to be, I was a dancer, like professional. I wanted to be a performer, a journalist, a teacher. And then I went into the corporate world, sales, my background's marketing. But like you, I do all that now through speaking, teaching, writing. So it is, it is. I think it really reinforces what you said right at the start today is it's it's a journey. It's a journey and it's it's not static. It's forever flowing.
1: If you're not happy, it doesn't mean you necessarily have to change your job. No. You might actually be able to tweak something within your job or adapt it slightly differently, have a conversation, you know, read the book, get your team to read the book, whatever. But there's a lot that you can do to really try and actually improve your situation. I love it.
0: I love it. And even people that, we in Australia especially, you'd know this, we're sort of taught when you get a job, do it well, then make sure you lead people because that's the next step. And I've had so many people lately that are like, Renee, I'm good at leadership, but I don't enjoy it. I don't want the people part. So it's really questioning things, like you said. Um, And a a little, um, little, I still don't know where this is from. I should disclaim it, but uh, it's a story I read years ago. A lady used to make this lamb roast every Sunday for her family and always cut the leg of lamb in half. And her husband said, why do we always do this? So she rang her sister and the sister said, I don't know. Rang her mum, why do we cut the leg of lamb in half? Don't know. Ring your grandma. Grandma, why do we cut the leg of lamb in half? And the grandma goes, I don't know. I just had a small oven. And I think it's just a good analogy around question, not I, I say debate with intent trumps harmony for comfort's sake. So I think it's about questioning the right things um, for yourself, you know and others and the world and that curiosity to really help you find you know satisfying and fulfilling um meaningful work
1: so I think if you can I always say if you can disagree agreeably, that's, yes you know you that's you need to disagree, but you need to be able to do it agreeably and then the other thing I always say is if you're unhappy in your job, Give yourself three months to try and figure out what it is, and see if you can change it without leaving before okay. you leave. And at least that way, by the time you leave or you start mm. looking to leave, you're really clear on what, and you've tried to change it internally first. So you're really clear on what you're going to, rather than kind of rather than a push factor pushing you out. You're actually working towards I your all cool factors
0: because we it's too easy to go it's that person or it's that place or I don't like where that I have to work in the office. I love that. So take three months, really go deep. Um now I absolutely I could talk to you for hours, Nina. <laughs> I'd love to ask you how do people find you and your book and the assessments?
1: Thank you. So um my website is just my name, nina mapsandbone.com.au, and um all the links to everything is on there, including link, links to the various outlets that you can buy the book. Um, and the link to where the assessments are. But the assessments and the research that we did, because that was commissioned by Beaumont People, can just be found at meaningfulwork.com.au. So oh, two really easy websites, bone.com.au, meaningfulwork.com.au.
0: Amazing. And you're obviously on LinkedIn as well?
1: I'm on LinkedIn as well, yeah, just under my name.
0: Amazing. So we'll have all those links in our show notes. So you can find Nina, her amazing uh, thought leadership and her book, um, thank you so much for being being on the show today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed our conversation.
0: Yeah, it's been amazing. And thank you for everyone that's been listening um, or chiming in. Meaningful work. Make sure you grab a copy and have a look. Um, and also make sure you check out our 2023 public events. We've got a Cook, Connect and Re Energize one day retreat coming up on November 22nd in the Yarra Valley, um, where we will cook a beautiful Italian meal, eat it, do some breath work and meditation. And then the afternoon, I will take you through some immersive workshops around reconnecting to yourself and strategies to re energize. And also we're running this in-house if your team is interested. So thank you for listening from wherever you are in the world Um, and we look forward to you sharing this podcast, sharing your feedback or letting us know of any future topics or guests that you'd like to have on the show. Thank you for listening to the Limitless Leaders podcast. So you don't miss an episode, make sure you follow the show in your favourite podcast app. Feel free to share this podcast with your family, friends and work colleagues. If you're enjoying the show, find out more on what we do at RG Dynamics at www.renegeruso.com. Until next time, be limitless.